If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. It's a season of giving, it's a season of joy, it's a season of being able to develop and strengthen bonds of friendship, and uh, so it's certainly a time of the year that we ought to be happy, amen? And so we want to take that and we want to put that, pour it into our time together in worship this morning to think about the one and only thing we should be thinking about today, and that is Jesus. Uh, When we look at the miracles that we've been going through the last several weeks, I've tried my very best to share with you some of the stories that really impact me concerning the life of Christ. We've talked about things going back to as early of his first miracle in Cana to all the way to the cross and some of the things that he has said and done that led him to that point where he's crucified. But there are so many great stories in Scripture about Jesus' life. This is a season in which most people are focused on Jesus' birth, which is certainly important, and it's something we need to take note of. But as we've seen through these lessons, there are so many things Jesus did that were also very amazing, and the greatest of which we haven't even seen yet. We'll get to that together this morning. We've covered several different categories of miracles. We've talked about the power of Jesus over, over disease, over nature, over sin, over demons, over the senses, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, so forth. Uh, His power over flesh, which, as James mentioned a moment ago, allowed him to be able to give up his life, and his power over death because he has risen. In the text we read this morning, London shared with us some thoughts from Jesus' birth. I want to focus on the same two questions we do every Sunday, and that is, what happened then, and what does it mean now? So let's go back and let's notice the text here in Matthew chapter 11. And there are a couple other places in Scripture. One is in uh, the Gospel of Luke. But the first thing we need to see is that Jesus came to the earth. Jesus came to this earth. He lived. He died. But he first of all had to come in flesh. Now if we go back to Genesis chapter 3. We can see that there's a promise made in the garden. And this is 6,000 plus years ago. Whenever God sees the fall of man and he takes Adam aside and he has a, a, a talk with Adam, he has a talk with Eve, and he has a talk with the serpent. And he makes a promise to them in that garden scene in Genesis 3 and verse 15 that he will provide through that woman a savior for the whole world. And as you read that story in Genesis 3, you continue from from that place all the way up to this section in Matthew 1, that there's this anticipation building, is that when is is the Messiah going to come? And it had to be a a conversation piece many times around tables, where they said, when do you think the Messiah is going to come? Wouldn't this be the time that the Messiah would come? As the time of Jesus arrives, there is occupation for those that are in Jerusalem. 
And it tells us, the Bible tells us the Romans were in charge. They basically uh, took care of the people there in Rome. And so many people thought Jesus was coming into the world, the Messiah's coming into the world would be to overthrow uh, the Roman government, maybe even unseat the Herod who was on the throne. If you keep reading there in your text in Luke, we find in the early parts that the, the man who was on the throne there as so-called king, local king, was Herod. He was an Edomite. Now, what does that mean? That means he was from the tribe of Esau. He was not of the tribes of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. And so maybe people thought if the Messiah comes, surely he's going to unseat Herod from the throne. He's going to run the Romans out of Jerusalem, and he's going to provide for us the safety and security. So their thought was, if the king of kings, if the Lord of lords is going to come and reign, he's got to come in royalty. It would make sense that if he's the king, he would be born of a kingly lineage. A, a young girl, about nine or ten years old, did a project for school not long ago. I saw the, uh, the video on YouTube, and this young girl was able to show how all presidents, all the presidents are connected to one king in genealogy, except for one. I think it's Martin Van Buren. But all, the, all of the presidents we've ever had in the United States go back to the same lineage. They all come, they can be traced back to this same king. And she does that by showing both the male and the female sides of the family of each of the presidents. And so we think that's fascinating. That sounds very interesting. Many times well, we would rather somebody present us something on our family tree uh, than to go and do the research ourselves. Because sometimes you get into it and it's just you're chasing rabbits many times. But they knew Jesus had to come through a kingly lineage, so wouldn't he be born in a palace? Wouldn't he come and be born in such royalty like Moses was raised in, Exodus, that he would know the ways of royalty? But that's not the way Jesus came. In fact, uh, just a couple weeks ago, Jason did a presentation in here in class of the prophecies of Jesus. And some of those include specific things that would not have been known unless someone could see the future. And that is, they said that this child would be born of a virgin. And that tells us here in the text, that's true. That she had never been with a man. That the angel comes to her and tells her she is with child by the Holy Spirit and she's going to bear forth this son, Emmanuel, God is with us, which... As London read a moment ago, they called him Jesus. And so the prophecy is fulfilled there. But there's more about Jesus' life that is prophesied as early as Genesis. Those things include where he would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David. David, again, a great king of Israel's lineage. And so the prophecy is given. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to, also another prophecy, be called a Nazarene. That means he's not going to live in Bethlehem after he's born. The prophecy is also of him being taken into Egypt and out of Egypt. We see that in the Gospel of Matthew as well, in that the angel comes to Joseph and tells him to flee because Herod wished to kill all the newborn boys. Up to two years old. Sounds similar to the story in Moses' account in Exodus 1 and 2. But those prophecies, again, continue to line up. He's called a Nazarene. He's born in Bethlehem. He's also raised in, for a short time of his life in Egypt. And the prophecies continue to line up one after another. And we have these great texts in Scripture in Matthew 1 and also in Luke that tell us how we can connect the kings like David and of the tribes of all the way back to Judah and, and beyond that lead to the Christ. 
Jesus came, he fulfilled so many prophecies, over 300, some say 333 prophecies. That's, that's impossible unless it's by providence. And Jesus fulfilled every single one. So Jesus' coming into the world is the greatest event human history had ever seen. That he came, but he came through a baby. And he came in a manger. He came into a scene that does not look like royalty. There's no crown on his head. There's no ring on his finger. There's no robe for him to wear. He's not laid in a gold crib for them to be able to put him in. He's simply in a very lowly state. But it also shows us, metaphorically, that God has to come down to meet us where we are. And in that case, he comes about as low as he possibly could. As Jesus' life begins to develop, you see all these great stories about him in the temple at age 12, talking to the religious leaders and talking about all the great things of prophecy, probably talking about himself, things that he could see being fulfilled. And every time they observe the Passover, and they're talking about the Passover lamb, as Jesus gets older, he realizes that's his role. He is the Passover lamb. And from time and time again through Scripture, early parts of the Gospels tell us his interaction with John the Baptizer, his cousin. His mother's interaction with Elizabeth knows that Elijah, who is to come, is John the Baptizer. And Elijah's spirit is in John as he preaches to prepare the way for Christ. Christ is baptized in Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3. And in the baptism, John says to him, you know, you ought to let me be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And he says, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus is coming and his baptism is to set forth this principle that if you want to follow God, it includes immersion. As the story plays out, he then immediately is tempted by the devil. The devil uses scripture against him to try to get him to fall. It doesn't work as Jesus uses scripture back on him. Page after page of story and miracle, we've covered most of them in our series on Sunday mornings. And each of these miracles, he is showing the world that he is the Christ. The fact that he came is enough. That's a, a beautiful prophecy fulfilled. It's a beautiful vision and story of Jesus coming. But not only did he come to live, he also came to die, didn't he? The prophecies stack up against him. Isaiah 53 is a great place to start. To see that Jesus was prophesied would die a cruel death. And as humble and as, as beautiful and as lowly as it is for his birth, his death was a cruel way to die. In fact, the harshest punishment that, that Romans could come up with was scourging, and they did that. And the harshest way to kill someone would be to nail them to a tree or nail them to a cross. And that's what they did. But again, in God's foreknowledge, he'd already told the prophets this. And they had prophesied it page after page. It's in our Bible. Jesus fulfills every single one of those. And in his dying moments on the cross, you can see in his words he's concerned about his apostles. He's concerned about his mother. He's also concerned about those wicked men who are at his feet tearing up his garments, calling him names, spitting upon him. And he says to the Lord in heaven, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As Jesus dies on the cross, it seems like that's the end of the story, right? You ever gone to a show before where there is a, a, an intermission, and the, and the lights go back up, and the, clothes, the curtains, and you think, well, is that the end of the story? No, it's just the intermission, if you will. It's just a brief pause. After three days in the grave, Jesus raises from the dead. 
And it's not just a, a resurrection like one he had done previously. But he is killed a cruel death. There's no question that he died. There's no question when they poked his side that he was fully dead. They came to anoint the body with balms and spices and, and, and lotions to be able to help him to become basically mummified in that cave. And when they reach it, that Sunday morning, there is no one in the, in the grave. The door is open, the tomb is open, and the angel begins to speak to the women. He's not here. He's risen, just like he told you. And then the story begins, this second great act, where now, as the Old Testament has been fulfilled, and Jesus has died for all, and now has been risen, that there is a message that needs to be preached. We call it the gospel, the good news. And now everybody needs to know that this prophecy of the Messiah coming has been fulfilled and he died, but he's also risen. And in his resurrection, hope is given to you and me that when we die physically, we'll also raise up again. We experience the death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. In fact, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. But physically, it, all of us will die eventually. It's going to happen. And when that moment takes place that we draw our last breath, we can have a determination as to where we'll spend eternity because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's why the power of the resurrection is so important to Paul to preach in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But then after he has risen, he takes his disciples aside, he teaches them. One of the examples of this is in John 20 and later in John 21. And he teaches his disciples about the importance of preaching the gospel. He says it, it's, it's different ways. You can look at it from Matthew's gospel or Mark's or Luke's. But each of them are saying you need to be witnesses. You need to go out and tell people. It is our objective as Jesus gives the command to his disciples, which we are his disciples, that we're supposed to go and tell all nations. We're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature, whoever will listen. You know, I say, well, it's hard for me to, to talk to somebody. It's hard for me to converse with someone about these kinds of spiritual things. Well, if he says preach the gospel to every creature, why don't you start on your dog in your house? Somebody. If you have to talk to a teddy bear or talk in the mirror, preach the gospel. Talk to people about Jesus. So we start. The best way, when I first started preaching, is I would stand in front of a mirror and say, how would I receive this message? So we preach the gospel across the whole world. Our goal is to fulfill the mission that Jesus started, and it will not be completed until he comes again. And that's the last thought, is Jesus will return. If you're in your, in your Bibles there in Luke, you'll see at the end of Luke in 24, and also in Acts chapter 1, that God says to these, uh, or, or Jesus says to them, he's going to go, he's already promised it in John 14, and as he ascends into heaven, beyond their sight, the angels, or men in white apparel as Luke puts it in Acts 1, say to them that this same Jesus who left is going to return in the same manner. And because of Jesus' ascension, there are many great prophecies fulfilled there. In fact, Peter talks about one in Acts chapter 2. And that's the prophecy of Joel 2, that the Spirit would be poured out among the people. And in Acts 2, that's been fulfilled. And so God has sent His Holy Spirit, and Jesus had to ascend before the Holy Spirit could descend in Acts 2. And then Jesus also makes these promises that after He ascends into heaven, He will prepare, John 14, a place 
for his disciples. And one day he might receive them to himself. Jesus told his disciples also, if he were to be put on a tree or to be hung, as he is put up before all men, it will draw all men to him. That every person will have their eyes gazing towards the cross. Again, not physically, because it's been many years since that event, but we will spiritually think about the cross and we'll think about what Jesus accomplished, not just for all of mankind, but for me, for you. It's personal. I know that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that he ascended, and I also know that he's going to come back the same way. We oftentimes will spend moments of reflection, and I love what we do with the communion, which we're commanded to do on the first day of every week. We see the example, Acts 2.42, Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11, and we observe Jesus' death. But Jesus also, in uh, in his speech that he gives in that upper room, is that they do it until he comes. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that. We will do it until he comes again. So in a way... As we take communion together on the first day of the week, we reflect on Jesus' birth and his coming into this world, his death on the cross, but we also focus on the fact that he has ascended into heaven and he's going to return in the same way, that I know Jesus is going to come again. Now, this is what Jesus did, but what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? Well, first of all, I want you to know this morning that Jesus lived for you. He came to this world for you, because of you, because of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, later on in Romans chapter 6, you know, the wages of sin is death, and it says the gift of God is eternal life, but it also tells us in Romans that we should be careful because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus came, he lived, and he died also for you and me. It's not just a crucifixion experience. The example of Jesus' death on the cross is also so that I might see how I need to live every day for God. Romans 8, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talk about us living as a sacrifice in the world. Jesus not only lived for me, and again, not only has he died for me, but he's going to come back for me as well. How many times do we pause and think about eternity? How many times do we stop We spend a season, a whole season, talking about his birth. In a few months, we'll spend, the people in the world will spend a whole whole season thinking about his resurrection. And those are important things. Don't get me wrong. Those are important events in biblical history. And in the timeline of what we're going to be able to experience later on in eternity, we need to know what Jesus did, why he did it. But ultimately, maybe the greatest part of the story is that he's not done yet. When you think of Jesus at this point in your life, do you think of Jesus uh, standing on watch? In Acts chapter 7, there's a story told a man named Stephen. He's being stoned to death, and he looks up into the sky, and he says, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, many times in Scripture, it says that Jesus' time at the throne was to sit at the right hand of God. So why is he standing in Acts 7? It's because he is watching what's going on in the world. He sees what Stephen is experiencing in that moment in a way that to Stephen is this assurance that Jesus is watching over him and that he wants to help. But the way that Jesus helps is he carries him home into eternity. Maybe for our lives, there are some great events, there are some great milestones. Coming into this world, being born, it's a great milestone. We celebrate it, we call it a birthday. 
Some of us still say, as my grandma, I'm 29 and holding, but we do have a birthday. We have a birthday, and we celebrate it. We have an anniversary date. Maybe we even celebrate, and I'd encourage you to, the day that you were baptized into Christ. That's the most important date to this point in your life is when you make the decision to follow Jesus. But I want to tell you this morning that the greatest thing you'll ever experience you haven't even seen yet. And that's where God wants to take you next. When we reflect at this time of the year about Jesus, we cannot hesitate. We've got to explain there's more to the story. Jesus is going to return. So I want you to think about that this morning, to think about where you are. Are you going to receive the reward that God has in store? He told his disciples in John 14, you know, the only way to get there is through me. Verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he shares with them what heaven's going to look like. And John does his very best in Revelation to give us a picture. Most of us are kind of scratching our head as we read the book. But John is trying to tell us it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be greater than anything you could ever imagine. The things that you'll see, the people that you will talk to. But that's my choice, whether or not I want to have that as my eternal reward. Who is Jesus really to you? What has Jesus accomplished that you might be able to take and put into your heart? Are you ready to see him face to face? I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to react. I've been in the presence of people before that I had a lot of respect for, and I might get a little tongue-tied. Or I, had, I met a preacher one time, a very celebrated man within our fellowship, and I was with a friend. I said, let's go meet him. I went up, and I couldn't even think of anything to say. I was just excited to meet him. I've been that way with celebrities. I bet we'll be hesitant to even speak in the presence of Christ when we get to lay our eyes on the nail prints. What does Jesus look like? What does heaven look like? That'll be the greatest day in your whole life. There's a song we sing sometimes, there's a great day coming, but it also says there's a sad day coming. I don't want anything to keep me from eternal life. Amen? I don't want, I don't want to get anything in the way of receiving that great reward that he has in store for me. This season will be opening gifts. There are all kinds of things we get that are so nice. We get excited. Love to watch the kids, their eyes all aglow. You know, they're up at four in the morning, ready to open. And here we are, we're opening, we're seeing all the things that we have, but there's no greater gift than Jesus coming and dying for us. And eternal life is your reward. If there's anything in your life that's in the way of you getting that, repent today. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you say, I'm going to repent, I'm not going to do the things I used to do, confess Jesus' name in the presence of, of others, you then can be immersed in the blood of Jesus Christ and you can know assuredly that that gift you'll receive on that day will be eternal life. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. 
To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.